In writing and rewriting Fidelio, Beethoven found the third time was the charm. How did Beethoven and his opera evolve over time? We find out on this episode of the Metropolitan Opera Guild podcast. The Metropolitan Opera Guild is dedicated to enriching people's lives through an awareness and deeper appreciation of opera. Our podcast features lectures and events presented by the Guild in support of performances at the Metropolitan Opera. The Metropolitan Opera Guild podcast is funded in part by support from the Stuart J. Pierce Memorial Fund. To learn more, visit metguild.org. I'm Kyle Homewood. Fidelio is on the Met stage for the first time in over a decade, now through April 8th. Here is composer and conductor Victoria Bond exploring the themes of Beethoven's only opera in a pre-performance lecture originally recorded on March 20th, 2017. Although a lot of composers lived in the shadow of Beethoven, Beethoven himself lived in the shadow of Mozart. When he was a child, his father wanted to make him into a prodigy modeled after Mozart, lying about his age and cruelly beating him and trying to force him to conform to what was not his natural inclination. It's a wonder that Beethoven's love for music was not crushed by this miserable beginning. Beethoven resented his father, who was an alcoholic and a mediocre musician, who was never able to realize his ambitions. Like any stage mother, or in this case, stage father, he pinned his ambitions and hopes on his little son. Mozart's shadow continued to follow Beethoven, who almost had the opportunity to study with him in Vienna, had it not been for the death of his mother, which called him back to his hometown of Bonn. Mozart died shortly after, so the opportunity vanished. Beethoven's only opera, Fidelio, had its beginnings with a Mozart connection, Emanuel Schikaneder, the notorious librettist of the magic flute, who starred in the opera as the first Papageno. At the time when Beethoven was living in Vienna, Schikaneder was the director of the theater on Der Wien, and he commissioned Beethoven to write an opera. As it turned out, the theater changed hands, but the new director recommissioned the opera, suggesting the popular play Leonora, or Wedded Love. Originally a French play, the plot appealed to Beethoven. Although he revered Mozart, he found much of the subject matter of his operas distasteful, too risque, permissive, and erotic. So the idea of this pure woman, Leonora, served as a heroine worthy of Beethoven's loftiest music. The plot, based on an actual incident, involves Leonora, who, disguised as a man, has gained employment as the assistant to a jailer in the prison where her husband is being unjustly held. She rescues him, and the opera ends in triumph. Beethoven delineated each character with his musical precision. Marcellina is the jailer's daughter. Unaware that the young man, Fidelio, who has just come to work for her father, is really a woman dressed as a man, she has fallen in love with him. Giacchino is another employee of the prison, and he is in love with Marcellina. He is distraught when she rejects his advances, preferring Fidelio instead. The opera opens with a Mozartian banter between the two of them, Giacchino pressing his affections and Marcellina rejecting them. Listen to the light-hearted music, tricking the audience into thinking this will be a comedy. After that, Marceline sings an aria expanding on her love for Fidelio. Her music is florid and in the style of Mozart and his contemporary Cherubini, another composer Beethoven admired. We'd meet Marcellina's father, Rocco, a jolly fellow who has taken a shine to Fidelio and approves of his daughter's infatuation. He looks forward to their wedded bliss. 
Thus far, the music has been quite conventional, following the tradition of the Zingspiel with spoken dialogue and numbered arias and duets. In the next number, however, Beethoven breaks free of tradition and writes a fugue for the four characters, Marcellina, Giacchino, Rocco, and Fidelio. Each sings of his own private thoughts, unheard by the others. Each takes the fugue theme, one after the other, building increasingly elaborate counterpoint. Listen to the beauty of this simple melody. So you can hear the counterpoint gets more and more complex. Beethoven, the great instrumental composer, never loses his interest in form and structure and harmony and counterpoint. So it's one of those transcendent moments that lifts us off of the tradition into new territory. Now, Beethoven was also very skillful at portraying character. And as you hear, the, the, the tone of this has been very sunny in a way, although in the words, as you can see in this quartet, um, are not entirely positive because Fidelio is wondering, how am I going to get out of this situation? Marcellina's in love with me, and uh, this, is, this is terrible. 
Well, we meet the most, um, the, the, the villain of this opera, and that is a man by the name of Pizarro. Pizarro is the embodiment of evil and cruelty. He's the governor of the state prison and a sworn enemy of Leonora's husband, Florestan. He has kept him chained in the dungeon beneath the prison without food or water, hoping to starve him. When he receives a dispatch from the prime minister, Don Fernando, saying that he will be visiting the prison that very day, Pizarro resolves to murder and bury Florestan before the minister arrives. His aria is full of malevolence, punctuated by slashing chords and violent motion. loud, it's aggressive, it's got those slashing chords, so there's no mistaking the character of this man. And let's have a listen to the way it sounds when sung. So what he is talking about at the beginning of this is he has received a dispatch from the prime minister saying that he is coming that very day to, to look at the prisoners in the, uh, in the prison because he has understood that there's somebody who has been unjustly imprisoned. So he wants to inspect the prison that very day. So when Don Pizarro gets this dispatch, he says, that's it. This is the day that he is going to get murdered and buried. And at first he asks Rocco, the jailer, to uh, murder him. And Rocco says, not my job, not my job, I'm not going to do it. And he says, all right, I will murder him myself, but you go down and dig his grave. Leonora overhears his diatribe, and when alone, vents her fury in her most famous aria, Abscheuliche. And she goes through a whole variety of emotions. The first one being anger, and then remembering her happiness with, uh, with her husband, um, Florestan. Um, let me just play you part of that, starting with her agitation. And listen, listen to the way that Beethoven characterizes that agitation in the music. Oh, <laughs> 
says, you have a tiger's soul. So she goes from that moment of agitation to an extraordinary moment of remembering her love uh, with Florestan. And in this, she uses three horns to be the, uh, as it were, her accompaniment. And this is what it sounds like on the piano. So when you listen to this excerpt, now listen particularly for the beautiful horns and how they make an extraordinary accompaniment to her, to her melody.
So the aria is rather long, and I didn't want to take the time to play the whole thing for you, but the ending part of it is where she says, I am determined. I am going to save him. I am going to go down and rescue him. And here, Beethoven uses the horn again as the principal instrument. Now, the horn to Beethoven really symbolized the hero. Those of you familiar with the Eroica Symphony know how important the horn is in that work. Well, in this, there are really two heroes. There is Florestan, who is the hero who is imprisoned in the dungeon, who we haven't met yet, and there's Leonora, who is actually really the hero uh, or heroine of, of this opera. So um, let's cut right to the heroic portion of it, where she says, I am going to win this. I'm going to rescue him. <laughs> This is heroic music. It takes a rather heroic-sized soprano voice. Well, the first soprano who sang, uh, and I'm going to go in a bit into the uh, tumultuous history of uh, Fidelio performances, but the first soprano who sang this role was under 20 years old, under 20 years old, and she had been kind of a soubrette in the theater that Chickenator ran. And she was definitely underprepared for this role. And as a matter of fact, I mean, you hear there are three horns. Well, it takes a lot of power to sing above three horns, which, of course, Matila has. And, and the uh, soprano you're going to hear tonight certainly will have. But you can imagine a very young, slight teenager, basically. She wasn't even 20, singing, singing this role. All right, back to the story. So what happens is that um, Leonor... Uh, convinces Rocco the jailer, it's such a beautiful day today, can't we let the prisoners out just for a breath of fresh air in the courtyard? And he's kind of worried, but Leonora convinces him, and she also wants to see if she can find her husband among the prisoners. So the cell doors are opened up, and the prisoners, they, they stumble into the light. They have been kept in darkness for I don't know how long, and they stumble into the light, and Beethoven has written this ecstatically beautiful co uh, chorus, choral number, where they at first are very, they can't believe what they see. And it's a very touching moment, and of course it's one that applies to any age and any time, and certainly applies to contemporary life as well. So there are many, many elements in this opera that are really timeless, and this is certainly one of them. This is the chorus towards the end of Act One. <clears throat>
So that is Leonora um, looking to see if she can find her husband Floristan, who is not among any of the prisoners who are let out of their cells at this moment. Well, Pizarro finds out that the prisoners have been given this one little moment of freedom, and he is furious. So they all have to go back into their cells again, and uh, the act ends with them returning to their cells and Rocco and uh, Leonora or Fidelio going down into the dungeon because Pizarro says, I want you to dig the prisoner's grave now. I will come down and I will murder him, but I want his grave to be ready. So Leonora is at once her, she's a, of such mixed emotions because on the one hand she will have a chance to see her husband, but can you imagine the emotion that she feels knowing that she's going to dig his grave. So at the beginning of Act Two, we are in the dungeon. And the music that Beethoven has used to characterize this dark, gloomy, frightening place is so remarkable. Let me play some of it for you on the piano. this darkness, this loneliness, this depression. And um, for the first words that we hear out of Floristan are completely unaccompanied. He says, God, how dark it is here. So he envisions um, Leonora as an angel that has come to rescue him. And the music that Beethoven writes for this is almost hymn-like. As in Leonora's aria, 
his emotions go through many different stages. And finally, he sees Leonora as an angel who has come to rescue him. And the music becomes very heroic here as well. <coughs> So the plot thickens, um, Leonora 
has brought some water and some food to give him. She recognizes him in the darkness, but he doesn't recognize her. But he thanks her. He's very grateful for this small act of kindness. And after that, uh, Leonora and uh, Rocco are digging the grave, and, Ro and Pizarro comes down. And he's gloating. He says, I want him to know who is going to murder him. This is going to be my sweet revenge. So uh, what happens is that um, when the, the uh, prime minister, Don Fernando, is going to come, his signal is a trumpet call. So as Pizarro is getting ready to stab Florestan, um, uh, Leonora steps between them and says, first kill his wife. So everybody is stunned. Of course, Florestan is stunned because Leonora has come to rescue him. Pizarro is stunned because here's this woman. And poor Rocco is still trying to get over the fact that he's a she. <laughs> so um, uh, then Pizarro's about to kill them both, and we hear That is the sound that Don Fernando, the prime minister, has come. Leonora and Florestan realize that they are saved. And Pizarro realizes that he is doomed. And Rocco, as I say, is still trying to sort out who's who. So here's that scene.
Liste von drin. Sein Gefolg ist schon vor dem Schlosstor. Gelobt sei Gott. Wir kommen. Ja, wir kommen augenblicklich. Und diese Leute mit Fackeln sollen heruntersteigen und den Herrn Gouverneur hinauf begleiten. So, the opera has a happy ending, I'm glad to say, not uh, very atypical for operas, um, but um, Leonora and Florestan are reunited. Uh, Marcellina finally makes the peace with the fact that Florestan, uh, rather that Fidelio is really a, a she, and so Giacchino and Marcellina get back together and everybody ends happily. However, this was not the trajectory of the opera itself. Beethoven had a lot of difficulties with this opera. First of all, he rewrote sections many, many times. Um, there are actually four overtures. Um, the first overture was for a failed Prague production. Um, the second overture, which was actually the first overture that he wrote, um, and then there's the third overture, which was actually the second overture that he wrote. So if you're now, if you're totally confused, the overture that is done is called the Fidelio Overture. And why is this so? Um, the uh, Leonore Number no. 3, which is the most popular one that is frequently done at symphonies and is sometimes actually incorporated into the performance, it will not be tonight, um, basically recapitulates the whole story. It is a concert piece in and of itself of about 20 minutes. And so, um, first of all, it overshadows the action. That trumpet call is in there. So you basically know what's going to happen uh, before it actually happens. And it's much too serious and too heavy to set up the kind of light comedy that Beethoven wanted to establish in the beginning. Beethoven being a master of contrast, he wants to set you up to be happy and jolly and oh everything is fine before he smacks you down with what is really going on in this dark dark dungeon. Well the first performance um, took place in Vienna um, however Napoleon's uh, army had, had uh, occupied Vienna just a few weeks before and anybody in Vienna who could leave did so with the exception of Beethoven's uh, friends and supporters and patrons who stayed to hear the premiere of this opera. But the rest of the theater was filled with French officers and French soldiers and they had no use for this long, dark German work. They were used to entertainment, something light, something that had a lot of ballet. As you can see, there's no ballet <laughs> in Fidelio. And it is anything but light entertainment. So they hated it. Um, the second performance, the theater was empty. Can you imagine how Beethoven must have felt? <laughs> this work that he had labored so hard. I mean, it makes you cry to think that, that the theater was empty on that second performance. And it was withdrawn after the third performance. Well, his friends and his supporters got together at the home of Prince Lichnowski, who was a very wealthy patron. And um, the prince and his, uh, and his wife um, played through the entire opera on, uh, the princess was a very good pianist, and she played through it on the piano. And as they played through it, they suggested changes that Beethoven made. Cut this, cut that, make it shorter. He rejected everything, and his pride was wounded. He was really suffering. And so he was about to grab the score and make for the exit when the princess put her hands on the score and said, Beethoven, you can't do this. She threw herself at his knees. She was evidently fairly elderly and very frail. And she threw herself at his knees and said, Beethoven, it must be. Do it for me. Do it for your mother. And do it for me, who is your best friend. 
And Beethoven stood there and he sobbed. And this is from a first-hand account. So you can just picture the depths of despair in his soul as he stood there and he sobbed. And he said, all right, I'll do it for you. So he made big cuts. Everybody was complaining. The singers were complaining. Those intervals are too cruel. We can't sing them. You have to change the vocal parts. Um, he made a lot of changes. And um, at the second performance, it was received better. And I say better guardedly because the most expensive seats, the seats in the boxes, those were sold and largely by his patrons and friends and people who knew his music. But the gallery seats, the cheap seats, were not sold at all. So he got, and his pay was the receipts from the box office. He didn't get paid up front. He just got the receipts of the box office. And so he looked at this number and he figured, mm, this management is cheating me. So he stormed into the office of the manager and he said, what about this? I, I'm not making what I think I should be making. And the manager said, well, you know, the box seats are filled, but the gallery seats, they're empty. And Beethoven said, I don't write for the galleries. <laughs> the manager, very calmly, and here the shadow of you-know-who comes hovering over, the manager said, even Mozart wrote for the galleries. So with that, Beethoven grabbed his score, withdrew um, the opera, and it was not performed for quite a long time after that. He really, in many respects, he stood in his own way. Well, this was his first, and I might say, his only opera. So he was not used to the give and take that opera composers typically go through. And as I mentioned, the, um, the singers said, you've got to change my part. The soprano, the, the under 20-something-year-old, um, Millennium, I guess, millennia, we would call her today, but uh, that was a different millennia. Um, at any rate, she said, I will not sing this opera again unless you change the part. Well, that's an offer you can't refuse. <laughs> so, um, I mean, just that opening in interval. He said, she said, those are cruel intervals. I can't sing that. Um, and so he, well, of course, he didn't change that, thank goodness. But he did change um, other parts, other vocal parts. And so um, he was the conductor of the second uh, production. I forgot to tell you about this. He's the conductor, and the orchestra musicians had only received their music shortly before the, first, the second performance. And evidently, there were, shall we say, a lot of mistakes in the orchestra. And Beethoven was, again, furious. He got furious a lot, but for good reason. I mean, that picture of him scowling that people have up on their mantelpiece or whatever, or pictures of him, um, he had a tough life and uh, didn't get any easier. So um, he said, uh, I am not conducting any of the future performances. I want to get somebody else to conduct this because the musicians are murdering my music. And I don't want to be near them because I'm going to lose patience. So uh, they got somebody else to, to conduct the remaining performances. But it was a very tempestuous um, relationship that he had um, with this opera. And um, I think after the opera was over, he said, that's it, no more operas. And um, he didn't write another opera. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. And I'm sure you'll enjoy the performance tonight. Thank you. That was Victoria Bond talking about Fidelio. It's on stage at the Met through April 8th, starring Adrian Piachonka and Klaus Florian Vogt. If you are interested in attending live lectures, interviews, or other events that coincide with the Met season, visit metguild.org to see our lineup of public programs. I'm Kyle Homewood. Thank you for listening.